This is Tracing Architecture. And this is a podcast about the layers of architecture, our industry, and our art form. My name is James Wessler, and I'm going to be one of your co-hosts. And of course, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt Tien and Sean Swisher. We thank Pella Windows for their generous support of this podcast. And if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, please reach out to us at tracingarchitecture.org or send us an email to tracingarchitecture at gmail.com. This show is sponsored by AIA 10 Phoenix Metro. AIA 10 is what's known in other parts of the country as the Young Architects Forum. Architects in their first 10 years of practice. We started this podcast because we are looking to investigate and explore issues that are important to young architects today. Now, a little background on this particular episode. We had planned this as a live recording event with a studio audience, but unfortunately due to the recent wave and rise in number of COVID cases, we had to cancel the live studio audience portion. But we are joined with our guests and co-hosts in a live recording environment at the AIA office, so we can keep that feeling of a live recording. Now, this episode is about the architect as a master builder. That myth, best seen historically in architects like Frank Lloyd Wright, has seemingly gone away from today's mainstream practice of architecture. Today is more about communicating and collaborating than it is about designing or building. However, some individuals in our industry continue to keep this tradition alive, albeit in a different way. These practices are focused primarily as general contractors who also happen to build their own designs and produce beautiful pieces of architecture. Today, we are joined by three individuals trying to keep this tradition alive. James Strahan, Zach Burns, and Benjamin Hall. Benjamin, can you start us off and introduce yourself, please? Uh, yeah, so I'm Benjamin Hall, Benjamin Hall Design from California originally, went to school in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and found my way around the world and ended up back here in Arizona um, in 2010. I uh, worked for a number of uh, smaller offices and larger ones as well before going out on my own in 2012-ish. And yeah, been doing small projects here in town. Okay. Uh, Zach, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Zach Burns with Local Studio. Um, I'm from California as well. Uh, went to school at University of Arizona as well. Um, after graduation, I went back to California, was able to work uh, with Frank Gehry and Associates on really large-scale projects uh, for a number of years before moving here in 2004, starting a practice um, and doing mostly residential uh, until I joined Local Studio. And now we're doing residential commercial um, design build. Good. Thank you. James, can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, James Trahan. I'm a co-founder and partner of 180 Degree Design Build, graduate of Louisiana State University in 93, and I moved to the desert um, about a week after I graduated. So I uh, set up practice here and been in the desert for all those years. Uh, we're a small boutique design build, architect-led firm, and similar to Zach, we do residential, commercial, public art projects. So thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, now, I'd like to go round robin and, and I'd start with Benjamin. May I call you Ben? Yeah, that's fine. Wonderful. Given your professional experience, how do you define the architect as master builder within the context of our current industry? Oh, man. So I struggle with this only because the word master, um, mainly because I I kind of adhere to the Japanese definition, which is almost impossible to, to achieve. But I think it's really just the ability to branch out and view the problem from more than just one sort of direction, uh, not just as an architect or a builder or a developer or the bank financier. I think being able to play in those different roles gives you this sort of outlook of, I guess, the new definition of master builder. Thank you. Uh, Zach, what, what's your take on that question? 
question. You know, I think my background was more in offices that were more the traditional role of master builder as a pure architecture firm. You know, in my time in LA, it was an architecture firm, but it truly was master builder from the architecture side. You know, they weren't building anything, um, but types of projects and the complexity of those projects required builders to embrace new technologies and new systems to build the complexity of those. Once moving out here, it was more of a true traditional design build model where, you know, there are several different models. We're a smaller firm too, and we're all, it's not construction based. We're all architects that learned how to build and all architects that are all of our job superintendents. So it's, it's a much more design driven process. And I think, you know, more down the road in the history of it, it's more back to the traditional sense of what the word master builder meant, you know, in its inception. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, James, can you give us uh, an enlightened answer? Yeah, for us, it's always been about craft. We never set out with the intention to become uh, builders or contractors. We just got completely frustrated in our work as designers that it wasn't executed as a high level as as it was in Frank Lloyd Wright's time and Egyptian times as a true master builder or a master craftsman. And so we just got fed up and said, let's give this a shot. We think we might be able to do better. And so we started building and it started with one project and that led to others. And our firm has really morphed into our own work and we collaborate with a lot of other local architects. And it's been a great experience learning from them because we've worked with some real masters, you know, working with Eddie Jones, working with Will Bruder, some really talented architects. So there's very many meanings for master builder for us, but really it's really about the craft of what we do. And as Zach said, how we're architect led in every decision we make and contracting comes second to us. Wonderful. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. You have to have that craftsmanship to have that understanding to to try to achieve that level of a master builder. I think, uh, Zach, I'm going to throw this one at you just to mix things up. Has the singular architect as master builder been conceptually replaced or dispersed throughout the entire team of designers, builders, developers, or is it still achievable to be that singular entity? You know, I think for us currently, it, it is a temp team approach. You know, we have projects that we're developing ourselves. We have projects that we do for developers. We have projects that are traditional clients. You know, I think from top to bottom, it's a team approach. It's not that you know, we're wearing all those hats, you know, we're designing one day, we're out there in the field another day, you know, we're working with the developers from a budget standpoint, you know, so it's, it is very much kind of all encompassing those. I think kind of the traditional roles and the traditional hats that were worn is the the lines are very much blurred for us. And what James said with on the craftsmanship, all those things that we can aspire to and control doing it together as a team, I think there's a far superior product. And I have a follow-up question. Since you have to establish that sense of control working with the team, is that diminished or is it still able to maintain? I, I imagine that's a difficult or a tightrope to walk. Yes, very much so. And, you know, and it, it varies tremendously from project to project, what that team dynamic is, you know, depending on that criteria, you know, whether it's a project that we're building for ourselves and designing for ourselves um, versus if it's a client and their needs. And so it's really hard to answer that as a generalized kind of way of, of how, how that ties into the traditional sense. I think for us, though, the, you know, not necessarily the role of the architect, but the essence of the design is always the driving force. Like we still have all these parameters. It has to be to a certain craft. We have to be on budget. You know, we have a schedule to adhere to. What's driving it is the design. I think in, in, a, in a modernized way, yeah, it is. Um, ben, based on your portfolio, do you, are you still able to maintain that singularity or are you working with a team? 
How does your operation kind of work? So I have kind of a unique story, but I sort of scaled back in my career. Went from working for Will Bruder on a large international project in Riyadh uh, and realized that I had uh, a lot of challenges with the sort of um, lack of control. <laughs> um, so I, I actually scaled my, you know, when I went out on my own, scaled things down to a, a scale that I physically could manage all components. I am a sort of a one-man team. I do have people that I hire on occasion when uh, drafting is needed. But yeah, I sort of, I, I operate at the micro and I collaborate with people that, uh, you know, James over there when needed or look for advice from colleagues uh, on certain detailing issues. But no, it's, I think my answer is going to be a little bit different than everyone else, mainly because I'm in the role of, of a lot of hats. And I am kind of pushing my projects in scale to be a little bit bigger, but not to a point where I can't control all the levers. Okay. And uh, James, what's your take on that? I'd like to finish being response um, <laughs> because I actually think he might be the master builder at the table um, having collaborated with him he truly goes from the development the performa the design uh, running the jobs running the crews designing the hardware fabricating the hardware installing every component and that's complete control and you see in his work how beautiful it's executed because from the big picture down to every little nut and bolt, it's thought of fabricated construction by the same individual. So there's no room for error in his work. And so that's what I've always appreciated about what he does. So I've got a follow-up question to that because you had mentioned you had experienced frustration with being able to carry out designs, the, the quality that was being built out of that. I want to put this to you, James, and then hear the rest as well. How do you approach a project when you're building it, you're designing and building your own projects that you approach differently than any other project? What are you doing differently to get that quality that you're not able to achieve outside of your own firm? I answered this exact same question last week. The, the question was more specific is, do you take more care in building another architect's work or your own? And the answer was the care level is absolutely the same because ultimately it is our body of work, which we're trying to establish. So there's no difference if I'm building a project for Eddie Jones or building one for 180. It, it all, everything matters to that level of detail. So we don't kind of separate the two, um, you know, when, when we do construction for other architects. So, What about you, Zach? You know, I don't I don't think there's a different approach. I would agree with James 100%. I think we have the same work ethic and the same quality expectations on every project we do. You know, we have built some projects for other architects as well. Truly, it's there is an ownership in that and a sense of pride that no matter what if we're going to take it on, um, it's going to be to the highest level that we possibly can. But so if if you've all experienced frustration with other contractors, right? Something had to trigger that. What was that? For me, we had designed a small community center, um, low budget project, and the execution was horrible that me and my partner, John Anderson, just jumped in and started doing construction. And so we actually took action early on to say, we can physically do this better. Um, and, and that's how we got started. As soon as we finished that project, we became licensed and, and we actually started to do what we thought we could do better. Not out of ego, just out of why am I spending all of this energy designing stuff and I consistently get crap. It's just not worth it. Zach or Ben, do you guys have thoughts on that? I mean, I'm just to follow or dovetail that doing the work in Riyadh, I you know had no physical connection to the, the actual construction site. And it, for me, I got to a breaking point 
where I actually, when I left, I didn't go back into architecture. I didn't start doing what you see now. I actually started a furniture company who was designing and, and fabricating little pieces individually. Unfortunately, financially, it wasn't really working out, but that was my breaking moment, was realizing the disconnects. I, I could not be on the site all the time. I couldn't get to know the trades and, and figure out what qualities that they could do best or produce um, best. Dis the disconnect was sort of jarring for me. I think for me, it was, um, you know, a little bit different, maybe similar to Ben's experience of, you know, my entire career and training had been more of a tr traditional architecture firm and, and bidding out and having contractors and experiencing that high level of frustration. And when I started my practice out here, I really had no experience with design build. One of the contractors that, you know, I had had several homes built with traditional contracting firms. And it was my my role as the architect was being so far pushed outside of what the true definition was. And, and very similar, like I was out on site helping them with layout and doing things that there's no way that I should have been doing. Um, and then there was a turning point where I was working with, um, it was Stark James at the time before it was local studio, Brian Stark, and all of a sudden had builders that were building these projects that were architects. And quite honestly, it was just like the light went off as my life was so much easier on site and from managing from the architecture standpoint that I just said, personally, I, I don't see how you could do it another way, you know? And from that point on, you know, I, I and it was hard too, because I had no, construction background and, and my company wasn't construction at that time. And then I would have to turn around and sell certain contractors to a client. And that was not always easy because, you know, at that time it was design build was, seemed to be the new buzzword. And, you know, anytime you're doing anything new, people are often skeptical and, you know, it was, it had its own challenges, but, and it was hard to explain to a lot of clients that what they got in the end was such a better product. And then you have to live it and experience it. And we were very fortunate and that's what happened. So on this design build and, and using your own work as an example, is design build the best project delivery method for getting this idea of an architect as master builder? Is there a different method that we've not yet discovered yet that in your own practices, you've said, well, I wish we could do it this way, but there's not really a mechanism for that. Or I guess, what are your thoughts on that? And I'll start with you, Zach. You know, I'm obviously very biased and it works for us. And I think the end product is far superior. I think for us, the better way is always pushing the envelope and like what technologies, what other crafts, you know, how can we expand our toolkit, so to speak, to achieve a better product, but I don't see a better model for us. And, you know, we've done a lot of things where we've hit bumps down the road where we've had problem with fabrication. So we started a metal shop, started doing our own fabrication. And so the process has changed and grown you know, over the years and will continue. You know, there's some examples where we are constantly pushing the envelope from a technological aspect and, a, and an execution aspect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where it's what's exciting to us and where there's a lot of room for growth. As far as like the, the model from, you know, architect and builder and design build for us, it's... But it, it almost sounds like another step beyond design build, which is also the the fabricate, you know, it's not just the GC aspect, but, you know, it's taking on parts of the trades that you really feel are most important for that project. 100%. And I think that's the future of yeah. the industry, in my opinion. You know, I, I see everything moving more and more to that. And I mean, you can see on very large scale projects and very technological projects, the things that are going on in the industry and even at our small scale, how that envelope is constantly being pushed. And, and I think 
this industry has been pretty archaic for a lot of years. So there's a huge opportunity here. And I think more and more professionals within our industry are embracing that. And, and you see those leaps and you see it affecting the design and the forms and the, the environments that are being built. And I pointed at Ben because I feel like this really speaks to a lot of Ben's work. Maybe you could talk about that as well. Yeah, I'm sort of saddling two different ways of operating. One is more, I would say, owner build, where I'm just happen to be a designer, but I'm the owner. Um, and the other is for clients. And that really relies on, and I've tested the waters here using contractors I know, and contractors I don't know. It really is important to work with a contractor I know well enough that they are comfortable with me either jumping in as their superintendent for periods or portions of the project um, or prefabricating the components that they've sort of outlined as too expensive or too difficult. I often will have circles on my drawing saying, this is a component I will build and it'll show up on site, you know, before you need it and everyone can examine it. So I've, I don't really know what you would call what I'm doing, but I'm sort of playing in two different pools. James, what are your thoughts? I agree with what both um, you know Zach and Ben said. I, I don't think design builds the perfect model for everyone. It is for us because we like to be nimble. A lot of architects are risk adverse. We wind up getting bogged down in paperwork and emails and it slows the process down and, and we want to, we want to move. We want to go, we want to design, we want to build, we want to fabricate and we want to do the best we can. And we don't want to get bogged down for weeks, you know, waiting for an architect to respond to an RFI. And so I think, um, you know, where we do collaborate from a design build standpoint, it still feels highly architect led design build. Whereas a lot of, um, you know, bigger projects, um, they're contractor led design build. And so the architect is, is somewhat taking a secondary role in the decision-making about money and design decisions. And that's where I feel that um, if more architects were less risk averse, more people might be doing design build where it's truly architect led and I think you'd wind up with better projects. Big D, little B. Yeah, exactly. So to kind of tack onto that too, you talk about contractor led, is there a scale of the project or the program where you feel like that scale is just too large, you can't bring the craft or it's too difficult to achieve? Two, I'll answer that two ways. Um, the contractors definitely take over the design build process when it gets up to a certain dollar volume because of bonding capabilities and financial things that unfortunately architects have trouble getting with no track record, you know, that I could do a hundred million dollar building and get bonded for it. Um, you know, a lot of lenders would shy away. So, so that's kind of a problem on that scale. I forgot the second thing I was going to say, so <laughs> we'll come back to it. Thank you. Same to you, Zach's question of scale. You know, for us, we've been very fortunate in that our scale has continued to grow and we've grown with it. You know, we each project has gotten slightly larger and more complex. You know, we're a we're a young company. You know, where those limits are, I don't know. You know, we're we're trying to push that envelope as we go. Sure. I know with James, there are a lot of huge projects that it is a completely different model. You know, it's big construction companies that basically lead the team and, and bring architects in. And I know that's a much different model than I think any of the three of us. So does that start to define like the markets that you entertain entering? 
Not really. S similar to what Local Studio is doing, we're jumping into much bigger projects lately. And what we're trying to do is bring the same mindset that we take to these small projects to a larger scale. And it's difficult. I'll, I'll give you that. You're working with a, a different set of trades, a different set of skill sets, and they just don't have that mindset. So we found that if you establish the mindset very early on in the project, the subs that follow the previous sub, they don't want to leave their work less than what they see the predecessor has given. And so if you can continue that through the management and direction, I think you can get there, but it is a challenge as, as Zach would agree with. Yeah, and I would piggyback on to that. Um, I agree 100%. And we've seen that, you know, just from the project scale that we've jumped doing, you know, having a background of a lot of small to large residential homes moving into the commercial realm. And, you know, now we're doing, you know, multifamily you know, shipping container projects downtown, six stories and 14, 15,000 square foot office buildings. And it's, it, it's just a much different subcontractor. Um, and the mindset on those larger scale subcontractors we have found is much different, you know, and we, we've done years and years of kind of grooming subcontractors in that in that smaller scale and residential. And so we know what to expect. And so there was definitely some growing pains jumping into that commercial realm for us. And it is, like James said, a, a retraining and setting precedent. But we've been very fortunate that we've been able to be really successful in it. And our experience has been that, you know, if you find the right people, they get equally just excited. You know, we, we just finished a you know, 14,000 square foot office building that is, you know, is about a vanilla program as you could have. Um, and a lot of those subcontractors are doing, you know, typical, that type of work. And, you know, every single one of them had a sense of ownership of this project and pride that I had never seen before and really got behind the design, you know, and it's, you know, it was really a fun process to be on the site with them and have like electrical subcontractors talking about the design of a building, right? You know, and it, it's, yeah. it's, it's great. And so, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm, it's kind of out of my realm. These two guys are at a different scale than me. Um, but I, I do think it's possible to scale up without losing the sort of sort of energy or heart of the project. I just, I look at, and I've never worked for this company, Shop Architects in New York, but they're doing, you know, large scale and keeping a lot of the contracting in-house. Um, so I think there is a, a precedence out there. And I've been watching specifically 180 for a number of years, uh, since you know doing welding for them over uh, at the Laney project, you know they're they're growing and they're not they're not losing the heart and they're yeah. keeping the, their focus. And it's, I'm excited to see where they go. We are too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you talked about grooming subcontractors too. So, do you guys feel that way with like developers and owners that you do repeat work with that you've been grooming them to have that mentality as well? Yeah, uh, <laughs> as far as clients. Um, when it's not myself, there's definitely a grooming process. I know that I've, I sort of operated a 50, 50, uh, meaning for a whole year, about 50% of my time is behind a desk drafting and drawing and designing and creating something ethereal, uh, or ephemeral. Um, and the other 50% of the time is just me being really antsy, not, you know, I need to get outside, work with my hands. Um, you know, and I've sort of jumped back and forth. 
Sorry, I forget what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking about like with owners and developers and subcontractors, just to carry that idea of craft through and to bring them along with you. Yeah. Is that something you're you're pushing and then working with them again on the next ones? So knowing my limited time and capabilities in a, in a, in a full year, um, I definitely groom clients that come to me knowing that, okay, we're going to do this together. It's pretty hands-on, you know, you know, it's gotta be someone. And I jokingly say this, but it's kind of true. It's someone I'd feel comfortable yelling, you know, the F we're at. Um, but if I feel comfortable, I think that if I could do that, then you're probably a good client. Yeah. We've worked well together with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would agree with that too. And, and I think, whether it's master builder, design build, I, I think as design professionals, a big part of what we do is education to the clients. And so I don't know if it's grooming them or not, but you know, we're very fortunate in that we have had, we do a lot of our own projects um, development too, which is a you know, very specific need set, but a lot of our clients you know, come to us because of what we've done and what they know what they're getting, so to speak. Um, so, and we've been fortunate to, to not have to work with a lot of problematic clients or, or people that weren't in align with our values. And so I think that makes it much easier. Sure. And that goes with developers and you know private clients and right. investors in our, in our um, development deals. Just a quick question. I'll start with James. The line between building or the line between construction and design can be blurred at times. With design build, it's perhaps even a, an entirely new gray zone. And throughout the project, uh, at least my experience is that the project always develops or, or evolves, and it's never constructed exactly as it's designed. Now, framed with the concept of delegated design, the final product, who takes ownership of that? And I, I ask you because you work with other architects and then you also, you know, design build at the same time. So I'd like to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I think um, ownership is with the group assembled. Um, you know, we do a lot of design work during the process, even working with other architects. Um, they trust our detailing. They trust a lot of our decision making in the field. They trust if we say you should move this window wall 20 feet and this is why. And so we're not afraid to speak our mind from a design standpoint, but we always know our place. Um, and it's, it's, if it's not our original vision, we're going to work to better their vision so that their work is, is the masterpiece that they're trying to create. And, and I think we do that collaboratively. We check our egos at the door. And you just do the best work you can. So I think it's a shared ownership of, of who gets that. When it's our own work, clearly, as these, these guys have mentioned, you know, we're, we're doing everything we want to our, our work, changing on the fly, uh, daily basis. And we're going to do it if it makes the project better. So if you wind up with a set of drawings and the actual constructed thing matches exactly, you probably miss some opportunities along the way because opportunities pop up at different stages of construction and you just want to be able to change that detail. So thank you, Zach. Yeah. I would like to, you know, I have the, I had the unique um, opportunity of being on both sides of that, you know, because early on before I joined local studio, I was just practicing architecture and they were building my projects and every single project that they built, um, I will say was different than the set of documents that they did. And every single project was better for having them built it. 
Um, and it was because they were all designers building it. And, and, and to the craft, to the design, to things that come up in the field, um, 100%, the ownership is in the group. You know, and, and I was at a separate office at that time and nowhere would I have, and, and maybe it's a lot of with ego, but you know, that design was always better because of who was building it um, on those projects. And on the projects that were being built by um, other people at that time that weren't kind of at that level, the project suffered, you know, and we had to work harder. And and I think to, to your point about, and now being on the inside of that and being out in the field, it, you know, and, and, and architects can live in such vacuums in the office, you know, and it's like, you think you have it all figured out. You think the design is as far as you can go from your models and renderings and you get out there and there are opportunities every day where, oh, this could be so much better if we do this. and in a more traditional um, arena, you can't make changes out there like that. There you just, it just doesn't happen. And, and the ability that we have to be able to do that, you know, the, every project is, is so much better because of that, in my opinion. Um, ben, what's your take on that? I mean, for me, it's, and I said it earlier, scaling back to a one man show really made myself nimble. Um, and I kind of question, like, you know, why can't the building be built exactly to the drawings? Mainly because I overdraw everything, um, and I want it to be built exactly. Um, but even trying to execute my own, you know, drawings in the in the physical construction world, I even make mistakes, and they're definitely like a new opening or a new opportunity. So you just kind of have to flow with it, and I like being able to be that nimble. Um, and kind of redesign things on the fly, uh, whether I made a mistake or someone else did. Um, I don't know. It's uh, I, one is uh, I would like things to be built exactly as drawn, but uh, I, I, I realize the real world doesn't quite work that way. So along the same lines about scales of projects and and also the kinds of work that you each do, uh, each of your firms, especially the work locally that, that we know so well, is so tied to its place. And that has both to do with the, the design ethos of your, your firms, but then also your ability to be on site and putting it together. So I'm curious about, is, is it possible to take your same model of, of how you've interpreted a master builder and go to another place, whether that's Louisiana or California or whatever, if you, do you need to physically be there? Do you need to have somebody out there that you trust, whether it's a contractor or whoever? How do you carry that out beyond your front yard? I, I think it's just a lot of dedication to what you're trying to do. We just finished a house in Aspen and a house in Hawaii where we were not the general contractor. And we brought that same level of detail early on to the, to the other general contractors team. Um, and we just, the whole way, through the project, we just plowed through the details on how we wanted to execute it. And a lot of contractors are willing to venture out with this. Um, they're not opposed to it. You just have to take the time to do that. So it's really about patience and wanting to do the project right. So I think you can go to different locales, you know, and, and bring that same mindset. And Zach, I'm curious about your thoughts also from your time at, with, with Frank Gehry, you know, the where you were in the architect's office, but also having to create, you know, new ways of building in the office. What is your thought about that, about that, that connection across? 
Yeah, I think I think Gary's office has, as, as many others, have proved that you can um, cross that boundary. Pretty much build something anywhere um, if you have the right team and, and you know the right amount of dedication. I think is a, a really key factor. You know, and, and my experience there, um, I was able to work on the Disney concert hall, and for a long time, and was able to do the CA on the project as well. Um, and, you know, that is a good example of, you know, Frank Gary is an architect and it was an architecture firm um, and not a build firm, but there was an essence of the builder that was going to build that project had to get on board. Um, and, you know, just a real quick backstory on concert hall, you know, the original design, there was no technology to build it. And it was literally guys with plexiglass and trace copying the model to do elevations, right? And it was deemed unbuildable. Um, and then... Frank went out and found Katia from the aeronautical engineering um, industry and brought guys in that weren't architects and, and we were able to model it and produce um, drawings. And that, and that construction document set, the Katia model was just like any piece of paper in the specification or the drawing set. So not just anyone could build it. So these contractors and subcontractors had to get on board with that. So we had, for Mr. Lisa, we had subcontractors that had never done that before that had to invest into that. And um, that was the only way it was achievable, and they did. So um, I think, you know, that's proof in it, you know. Um, and, you know, there's a huge risk in that. You know, Frank took huge amounts of risk in doing that. Um, and those contractors took huge amount of risks because it's never been done before. And I think that's something that we tie back in on our scale that um, Ryan and I talk about it all the time, that, you know, we are able to take more risks um, in that process, an example, the project we're doing right down here, um, is, uh, a multifamily project, um, out of shipping containers and, uh, it's a typical podium construction. Our podium happens to be built out of concrete culverts. If we had this idea and drew the concrete culverts and then had it bid out that a contractor was going to build these culverts, it would never happen, right? right? So we took that risk, we went down, we were down there and we found a subcontractor that, that builds bridge concrete culverts. We were out there helping them tweak their forms to get to the quality we want. Our glazing system is now popped into those. And so we're being able to do something that we would have never been able to do in a traditional sense. Um, the containers, you know, it was something we've tried to do before um, and the labor that is required for um, basically cutting the containers and prepping them for what we need, begin, the prices begin to increase and they no longer penciled out. So we have a metal shop. We went and bought a couple of robots from Detroit and retooled them and now they're cutting our containers, right? And so we're able to do things like that, that we just, we don't feel that we could do otherwise, right? And whether that's a project we're developing or we have a client that is, um, on board with it. Those are the, the, the risks that, you know, and it's a calculated risk, you know, we think we can do it. Um, and, you know, but in a traditional sense, I just don't think you could do that. So then I have to kick it over to Ben, uh, who has said at least four or five times how much he has to be in there doing it. What is your thought? I mean, you, you've done a lot of work around town. You yeah. got to branch out. What, what is, what does that look like for you? So, just going to the question of, is this something I, you know, you can relocate yourself and still execute the same quality. Personally, I've, I've got two sort of 
uh, memories I look back on. One is I worked for an architect, Tom Kundig in Seattle, and I realized really quickly he was really pulling off the work that he's, he's doing. Uh, it's a large office, but he runs a, a very small team and he's very well connected to his craftsmen um, and they have very personal relationships um, that, and he relies heavily on them and they teach him, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the limits of their craft, which I think he, you know, in turn spins it back into the architecture. Um, whether a finger break can go 90 degrees or you know, beyond, they could all of that, the little minute things about learning about the tools, you know, end up in the design. And I thought, okay, well, that's how I have to operate, you know, in the future. And, you know, I had a hard time in Seattle doing that. You know, if I need wood or metal or welding wire, like it's just very difficult to get those materials and sort of store them. Um, but I, you know, having gone to school in Tucson, I realized there is a place that's kind of wild, wild west still, you know, and coming back to Arizona, you know, it made it very easy for me to sort of get my hands on materials and start developing those relationships with craftspeople. Um, but that being said, I do think you probably can uh, operate, you know, with the same level of craft uh, internationally or nationally, uh, remotely, um, working for Will on the stuff in Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia. When you know, I ended up flying to Kansas City a lot to Zayner Metals, and you find out really quickly, man, these guys are just the real craftsmen that can operate at a totally different scale. Um, they can jump into Katia, you know, and, and you know, pull out files for water jetting. I mean, you you tour their facility. And the fun part is really sort of going in the back room to all their mistakes. They keep all these like uh, boneyards of, 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 of failed or aired, you know, attempts at building something. And you sort of can pick their brain and they really are craftspeople. I mean, they had one of the coolest things I'd ever seen was, you know, two half inch plates or two one inch plates of steel welded together on all four seams or all four edges. And they were injecting water, high pressure water to balloon the metal for just as an experiment, um, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, wow, like these guys are, you know, they're, they're both playing and they're maintaining a le high level of precision around the world for, you know, sky, you know, skyscrapers. So I do think you can operate in both me personally. I'm too, uh, too narrow minded that I don't think I could do it. Um, but I know other people can I'm looking at James over there. <laughs> so, then, Ben, I think the next thing I wanted to ask about is, especially with your work, which I, I feel like you've created this material language with a lot of your work so far, and it, it's like steel and it's masonry and it's these beautiful connections of things. And I'm curious, and then I'll present this to the rest of you as well, in the experience you've had, you know, architect, contractor, both, both sides, are you finding these paths in which you, you kind of see this is the sweet spot of how I can make this project make sense construction-wise. I can find the right trades. I can execute my designs, et cetera. And then you just hit your stride and that's when you really get the work going. Do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I've gravitated to, to materials that I can easily get a hold of here locally. Um, and also my father is a craftsman himself and specifically in woodworking. I very early on realized I should not really get into that trade. Um, 
he and I would get in fights about, you know, precision. <laughs> and he's much better than I am. So, you know, I kind of gravitated towards working with metal just because it was a material he had no knowledge of. So I didn't feel like I was always in competition. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, I kind of forget the question now, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is the, what you're seeing in your experience of building things, you're, you're learning what works and what doesn't, you bring that to the next project. And all of a sudden you're kind of creating a, a design language of your own that you're carrying on to the next project. Yeah, I, I think every project you can find a thread from the one before. Yeah. Um, I definitely, uh, that is something that's present. Um, and I'm always kind of looking, well, how can I find a new, a new colored thread to work with here? Mm -hmm. yeah. James, what about you? Yeah, I, you know, we've worked with a lot of different materials. Um, and, you know, speaking of Zaner's Boneyard, I, I think, and, and Zach would agree, we, we fail an awful lot at what we do. Um, more than you would imagine, <laughs> actually, um, because we're pushing, we're exploring, we're, we're kind of looking at materials in different ways. We've had some huge failures, um, but that's all led to success. And so we've, we've been able to venture out and, you know, we similar to these guys, we have our own, you know, metal fabrication, our own concrete crew. We have a full-time furniture maker now and, and having access to that, you know, from our studio to our shop is great because you can test and explore um, and just bringing the digital aspect to things now where we're looking at materials different uh, and how to create different things out of different materials. So it's actually a lot of fun and we're having a blast on that. Well, and you've seen like you listed out some of the trades that are better to bring in house and just really hold those because they're big parts of your your projects, right? Yeah, and I think I think we're better architects because of our relationships. You know, we have probably 200 subcontractors that we work with um, at any given point. And to have that knowledge at your at your cell phone, that's a knowledge that a lot of architects just don't have. They have to establish that relationship where we can pick up the phone and find out, you know, this material size, this break size, and then we design around that, you know, and so that's that's a helpful asset in our toolbox. And then Zach, you just brought up robots earlier about bringing into that for the, the shipping container work. I mean, can you elaborate a little bit more about how you guys have learned from and brought that into the next project and, and how that's made you guys successful from one to the next? Yeah, I, I think um, I would agree with you. Like, anytime you're experimenting, there's going to be failures. And I think some of those failures are um, there's big learning curves and that's where you, where you grow the most. Um, and I think... Like to me, that's what's so exciting about it. You know, it's it's getting to do things that yes, there's a thread that goes from project to project, um, but every project trying to do something, pushing the envelope a little more. Um, and the robots are a great example. You know, we we had a need and we saw an opportunity, and you know, now we've been able to you know introduce that, and 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 it's it's led to by um, experimenting to much other, you know, greater other things that, you know, it, it was for this very specific task, but then as we're getting in there and experimenting and like, you know, Zaner is a perfect example, you know, of, of that type of um, environment where it's like a laboratory, you know, and that's, that's, that's how we operate. It's, it's been very successful for us. Um, and it's, yeah, we're not the guys and no one at this table is that you're going and taking something off the shelf, right? We're, you know, we're taking a new approach, you know, in everything we do. And I think, kind of going back one one step further, you know, 
you said something that was really interesting and, and my background was all architecture and um, now having been in the field and, and having that vast knowledge of these guys that have all the experience and, and actually I don't have a background of craftsmanship, you know, it was like we're building, you know, and, and so for me, it was a huge learning curve. Um, and that understanding of what it takes to really build something physically and craft something has tremendously affected my design and my, and makes us much better architects because you are designing with that in mind, you know, and I think that's been a huge opportunity for growth for us, you know, of, of, you know, learning how to build it and then taking that to the next project where, you know, like, here's what we want to do. We got to figure it out, you know, and, and that's, that's awesome. And we'll also be asking Zayner to sponsor our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, why don't you take us home? So let's go down the line here. Tell us your favorite project that allowed you to kind of most fulfill your own concept of architect as master builder. Oh boy. I mean, I'm always in the mindset of my favorite projects, the next one. Um, oh, what is my, boy, this is tough. I, I mean, I think I would have to say my first uh, apartment complex that I developed uh, Whitestone Studios, that was probably the most pivotal project I've done where I, I actually gained the confidence in my own knowledge and put it to practice and, and realized I can do my own developments. Um, and it's, I'm not a, a seasoned developer. I don't know all the, you know, the tricks and trades for financing. Um, but it definitely, you know, that, that opened my eyes to the fact that I could take a trajectory that was a little more untraditional um, from what my colleagues were doing and I could you know, make a living, you know, doing it. Um, so I think that was my most pivotal, you know, work. Yeah. Zach, how about you? Um, yeah, Ben stole my line. That's what I always say. That's <laughs> my favorite one. Um, but it's true. It's, it's really true. And it's really hard for me to answer that question as far as a favorite, because every project is so unique. And, um, for me personally, uh, there's aspects of everyone that were favorite parts of it, but it, it, it's so hard to say like, Oh, this was my, my favorite project. Sure. You know, there have been, um, you know, a million examples on individual projects. Um, and, and we've just been so fortunate that there's been such a diversity in the work, um, that we've been able to, um, you know, ex experiment and, and have some successes and see it all the way through, um, you know, from, the work that we've done with some of the shipping container projects, you know, excitement to the project that we just built for Duncan Family Farms um, out uh, in Goodyear and then this office building on Shea, like being able to work with a client that um, is so involved, invested in a project and at that scale um, and then see it all the way through um, has been really rewarding professionally and personally. Yeah. I've got three specific projects. I think the first one uh, was the very first house we did a design build for, uh, for Ken and Stephanie Martinek. Uh, Ken's the rep for Arcadia, and we had won a design competition. And he took us to L.A. to tour the factory. And he says, hey, 
I think I want to renovate our house. And at the end of it, it turned into a, <clears throat> a brand new house. <laughs> and it was really our first time where we got to do every aspect of it, from the concrete walls to a lot of the millwork. Uh, John Anderson, my partner at the time, uh, still my partner. Uh, we just went all at it. So it became a very um, lasting project to us that led to others. Um, the Stone Court Villa with Marwan Al-Sayed was probably our most technical and complex that kind of put us on the map as a quality builder um, because of all the unique situations on that project with, you know, a, a radiant cooling system and plaster and very technical. Um, and then really the last um, project is really working on the campus of uh, Taliesin West. Uh, we've done probably a, over a dozen projects on that campus and um, you know, we still consider Frank the master builder to, so to be honored to that they trust us to work on his life's work is, is a real honor and uh, it's really difficult. <laughs> um, but, but doing the work out at, at the foundation is really wonderful. So those are the three that come to mind. I'd say the lesson's definitely a high bar to, to stand next to, but it's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, to say we've worked on a UNESCO world heritage site. <laughs> uh, it has a nice sound to it. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Now, um, I have another question. It's kind of a curveball question, uh, but popped up as we were having this conversation. Now, in the world of design build, um, I would assume that there's a great deal more risk. Now, James, you talked about the financial risk that lenders aren't really uh, apt to bond you on larger projects and also the risk with craftsmanship that you're doing something you haven't done before. Now, uh, in each of your personal experience and professional experience, has there been a moment, a leap of faith that you took? And I'd like to ask Ben. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm aware that I'm always dancing on this line of risk. Um, I have to separate client work from my own developments. Definitely my own developments allows me to sort of do things a little more unconventional. Um, and I, I do pay the price for it. I mean, there are times where I'm like, oh, shouldn't have done that or should have finished that well or you know, should have sealed this differently. Um, and I, I, I act as a landlord as well, so I get the opportunity to make those corrections. Um, but yeah, uh, risk is a real thing. It's, and we're in a sort of litigious society now, so it's you know even more scary. But I mean, if you look at Frank Lloyd Wright's work, I mean, he was, there's a lot of risk in a lot of that. <laughs> so I think it's kind of inherent to, to this you know, master builder concept. Zach, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think, I mean, life's not without risk. I think we are in a very, um, in, a, in a profession where there is a lot of risk. Um, we definitely distinction, distinguish between kind of our projects and our client projects. Um, and we definitely, I think there's more risk on our development projects. You know, the example, that uh, I use with the concrete culverts is, you know, really a, a perfect example. And, you know, we were able, fortunately, to pull that off. But through that process of testing, 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 and, and, and not working with the forms and out, being out there day in and day out, um, there was days where you're like, oh, this is not going to work, you know? <laughs> um, and, but we pulled it off. And, and so it's, but, I, I don't think that we could have ever taken that risk with a client. You know, I don't think that a client would have necessarily, you know, signed up for that. Um, and now, you know, we have a system that, that works really well, you know, but there were days where 
<laughs> we didn't know we were going to be able to do it, but we did. So. All right. And finally, James. Yeah, same here. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind when we team with CoLab on the Horticultural Center at the Botanical Garden, we had to um, construct about a 200-foot wall to separate the public and the private. And uh, Matt Salinger came up with an idea to basically install a bunch of big boulders, like 15-ton boulders, and just stand them up on end. And, of course, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, but then we're like, yeah, let's do that. And then figuring out how to do it is part of the fun. And so yeah, it was a huge risk. And we had the client on our team because they understood and they appreciated what we were bringing to the table from a design standpoint. And so they said, let's take this, this ride with you. And we wound up with the, we call it the great wall of, of boulders, 24, 15 ton boulders that just line up. Then it's kind of different. So we had never done that before. Awesome. John or Matt, do you guys have any follow-up questions well uh, anything you guys want to say you didn't get a chance to say because we talked a lot so wide open <laughs> architects go out and build yeah. lead i think what james said in the very beginning uh in the design build model architect led is i think really the way to go i don't know how you instill that in the education system but it's I wish there was a different term for design build, knowing if it's you know builder led or architect led. Yeah, and I would say experiment. You know, it's 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 take those risks and it's it's experiment and and not be afraid to fail. You know, it's like I think every one of us had examples of how some of our failures turned out to be some of our you know best moments. And I think in you know starting in the education level, you know, it's those are the people that we want you know in the profession. Wonderful. Well, I, I thank you for your time and thank you for joining us. Um, it's been an engaged conversation. And I just want to thank you, James Strahan, Zach Burns, Benjamin White, um, Benjamin Hall, sorry, Whitestone, sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for your input. Uh, did... No, thank you guys very much for coming up. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that was an enlightening episode. Local studio using robots to cut costs on construction. Now that is really cool, Zach. And I agree with James that Ben is truly a master builder, but apparently so much more. He's an owner, developer, designer, contractor, fabricator, and landlord. Wow. Finally, it's always great to hear from James with all his many years of experience and all the award-winning projects he's done on both sides of the design-build fence. As always, thanks for listening, and of course, a big thank you to our guests, Benjamin Hall, Benjamin Hall Studio, Zach Burns, Local Studio, James Trahan of 180 Degrees. We would also like to thank Pella Windows for their sponsorship and the AIA Phoenix Metro for their support. Remember, you can find us at tracingarchitecture.org. And also, we would appreciate any input, good or great, at tracingarchitecture at gmail.com as well. That's a wrap. Thanks again, and have a good one.